You're listening to the Unsung Podcast, where we talk about classic albums and decide if they deserve that distinction. And we also talk about some unsung classics in the hopes of bringing them to a new audience. And at the end of it all, we let you decide if we are right or wrong. This is the Unsung Podcast. to episode 25 of the Unsung Podcast. On last week's episode, we spoke about the album You Are Free by Cat Power and the public have decided that it indeed does make its way into our discography. So thank you to everybody who voted. We appreciate that. I want to give a big shout out to Craig Carrick who donated a princely sum of money. He, frankly, ridiculous amount of money he donated to us, but we appreciate it nonetheless. And also another shout out to Fraser Stewart again who... Once again, donated us some money. Thank you. We really appreciate the fact that you guys are sending us money. We are now very close to being able to buy something, like a microphone. So that'll be really, really good. Just an R2 to go and a recorder. So, yeah. It's good to know that people actually care and people will listen and people will send us some cash. So, cheers, guys. Much appreciated. On this episode, we are talking about Never Better by P.O.S. I think this is the first proper hip-hop record we've done since... Death Grips, ex military, so it's been a wee while. So, yeah, hope you enjoy this. Sorry, it took so long. There ain't nobody to be pretty for a fuck it. Let it rattle. Boss Let the cataclysm oh, <sighs> Cheeky rumble. Cheeky rumble. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the Unsung Podcast. I am your host, Mark Fraser, and I am joined by two members of Doomtree. To my right is, uh, I can see his socks, and they're matching. <laughs> uh, it's Mr. Chris Cusack. Um, mm, I don't know who's got sweatier socks. You do. I thought by wearing black socks it would hide the sweatiness in my feet. I'm afraid but not, it just accentuates it. Even blacker. <laughs> <laughs> How much more black? None more black. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sitting to David's right, and sitting to my left is David. Hi. And he's wearing a really quite snazzy... Little polka dot shirt. Oh, today. Wait a minute. And hang on. His socks match his shirt. Socks <laughs> Holy cow. That is they, not meant. They really do. Uh, wow. Like an identical pattern. Wowzers. Um, and we were just remarking, he's looking rather svelte at the moment. Thanks. His new moustache and his <laughs> trim. Oh, there we are. My falafel. It's <laughs> <laughs> another inch off the belt line. Um, he's also missing a hernia. Oh, yeah. Had a hernia. He's actually physically lighter. Yeah, yeah. Physiologically well, lighter. Well, no, because they don't take anything out. They just like tie a knot. Oh, I wish I took it out. They just like. That's the noise that the surgeon made. So was it? I was fine. I was asleep, so you know, they knocked me out. I wasn't there, so I don't really remember it. But I woke up and I was fine, and then I've been fine. My friend got a circumcision at a remarkably late age, and he was telling us at football the other day about it. 
and they put up a screen, but they keep you awake. They keep you awake. Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't want that. He got the first jag, and they, they said to him, "Can you feel this?" And he started. He was like, "Yeah, I can feel it. I can feel it." And they were like, "Oh yeah, well you can feel it, but can you really?" You know, he was like, "I can, I can feel it. I can feel it." <laughs> like, right, okay, we'll give you a second jag. They gave him a second jag, and then he was getting the operation, and the nurse was holding his hand, and it was one of these kind of like comforting, matronly kind yeah. of older woman that's just always looks unfazed and stuff, and. He's like looking up at her and she's going, oh, you're doing well, son, you're doing well. It's going fine. It's going fine. Then she kind of, he could tell that she was like peeking over the top to look down at it. Then she got this kind of look in her face where her face sort of dropped. (laughs) He's like, what is it? What is it? What's wrong? And she was like, oh, it's it's just a wee bit of blood. But she like looked totally white. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) So for the next 40 minutes or whatever it took, he was just waiting and finding out how big a disaster it had been. But I don't know, it turns out it's still there. They sorted it. Yeah, they either reattached it really quickly <laughs> or, or she's just more he's, squeamish. He's, he's never found the seam. <laughs> I don't really know where we go from that story. Yeah. <laughs> Talking of manhood. Manhood. Manliness. <laughs> rap. Rap. And rap. then hip-hop. And then POS. POS. That, that's how it went? Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> hey, been working in these links. Oh, it's so smooth. <laughs> you guys told me go home and work in your links. And I've been going home and working on my links. Any a lot of you worked on them. So this week we're talking about Never Better by POS, which I believe is kind of mine and Dave's choice at the same time. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, I think we wanted to do a hip hop record, and this is one that we definitely agreed on. Mm-hmm. And, and I had that you. usual blank expression. What is hip hop? Get sleep, buy it up. Come on. Uh huh. They are for presidents to represent them. You think a president could represent you? You really think a president would represent you? Right. They call me POS, bold from the gold to the gold to the mice cold bones. Freezing in that Minnesota snow, heating up the winter with the flow. They make it rain, 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 rain. hop I don't know what that is, Chris. <laughs> I kind of pushed the glasses further up my nose. And made yeah, a very I'm not like... sure about that. <laughs> Was that Puff Diddy? Oh, no. <laughs> not sure. Um, but I got with it. Yeah. In, in the course of... The, the, yeah, you the you down with it, bro. Yeah, man. <laughs> um, oh, that as fuck. Is that, well, is that a good thing? You're woke. I've this was one of the first hip hop records I ever got into. Really? Yeah. When did it? 2009, it came out. Which is weird because I thought it was <laughs> earlier than that. So I must have been 23 when this came out. But I was sure I remember listening to it in a flat in uni with my flatmate and really getting into it. But apparently I'd moved out of that flat by <laughs> according to the actual history. You're having a Bernstein which is really Bears weird. moment. Yeah, I'm totally got false memories of this record mm-hmm. in the wrong place, but that's that's, that's fine. I still like it. It's like it's I didn't misremember that. I, I, I mean, that whole phenomenon of the <laughs> subjectivity of memory. There you go. Jackpot. <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. Just manufactured our entire past. It could be a whole live show. Even from Allness. Where's Allness? I don't know. I don't know. Never been there. Who knows? So, aye, this is P.O.S.'s third album. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He's, every single album he's done has been really different from the one before. I don't know if it's my favourite, but I think it might be his best. Does that make sense? God damn it. Why'd you pick it? I didn't. It's my favourite. <laughs> it's my favourite. my favourite. <laughs> definitely my favourite. Definitely your favourite. I've got a question before we get started here. So, I was looking into his back catalogue to try and make, like, I'm down. And um, his first EP is called False Hopes. Yep. So, Mark, I know a band called False Hopes with a guy called Mark Fraser in it. Who picked the name for that band? It may have been me. <laughs> Coincidence? Yes. 
Uh, well, see, interestingly, a lot of people on Doom Tree have released records called False Hopes. I don't know what that's all about. What? The first Doom Tree album's called False Hopes as well. So multiple people in the same label have released albums and released records, EPs and records, albums called False Hopes. Called False Hopes, yeah. Well, that's a bit of a kind of weird. It's a bit of a fuck you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's part of Doom Tree, which is a record label slash collective that he started. He no longer runs it anymore. Dessa runs it, or Dessa. Don't know how you say that. I think Americans say Dessa. It's Dessa. I don't know. But she's Do I look like the kind of person that would know? I don't know why I'm looking at you. Um <laughs> don't even know why you're here. Yeah, so Weaver, why do you like this record so much? Why is it why is it your favourite POS record? Um there's just something about the live instrumentation, the drums. It's a really punk rock hip hop record. Yeah, I was just listening to a lot of new music uh, at that time in my life, sort of expanding my horizons from my from my normal corn and Alanis Morissette life. <laughs> normal, inverted commas. No, there was just something that totally struck me with this record. It was like the energy that it had. I don't know, it's really fucking immediate. It's really urgent. There's something in his voice and then like his lyrics and also, you know, just the productions to me is fucking brilliant. It totally stands out compared to his other stuff. Yeah. Because it's it's really vibrant and live. Yeah, um, you you told me in advance you were like this guy's like a punk. Yeah. Like a punk hip hop artist. And I was like, I take that with a pinch of salt because Mark you say a lot of things and <laughs> <laughs> most of them, you know, it's like, ah well, I see where he was coming from. But this one I really see where you're coming from. Like uh, I, well first of all the fact that he like but he plays in Marijuana Death Squad. Yeah, he used to be called Building Better Bombs. Building Better Bombs, yeah, he played guitar and vocals and that and keys in Marijuana Death Squad. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's just, he, he actually is a punk rocker. Mm-hmm. Like, he's a guy who plays in punk rock bands mm-hmm. who's then also enough of a hip-hop fan that he's pursued a career in that. And there is absolutely, like, a, a, a strong cross-pollination, not even just, like, a tokenistic, contrived sort of, oh, it's kind of punk in its attitude. I mean, it is, but musically, like, the, the live drums in this are what, what really got me into it. Like, yeah. it, it is kind of hard for me to, to relate to this stuff and as much as I can relate to stuff like Portishead for example Portishead's quite downbeat music and it's all about that kind of unnerving thing when the music's upbeat like this but everything's really sampled and really clinical I find it hard to engage with it but this has energy you can hear stuff getting played you can hear it sounds like a band it does yeah it's, it's got a real band vibe and you mm. can tell he's drawn that from his own personal enjoyment of performance like the energy of like live performance and it, it for me it really elevates this above like I was I was taken aback at how much I liked it I mean I don't mind some of the stuff you've suggested in the past I've enjoyed it can't say I've listened to it since very much but this I've, I've recreationally listened to since and yeah I was really impressed by the the guy's attitude towards combining the best elements of two really vibrant styles of music yeah I, I know all the drums that's well most of the drums were played by him on this or sampled by him he played them and sampled them sounds like a drummer Taylor. um he, I guess you could say he approaches music in, in a totally punk kind of way. It's just whatever, whatever he kind of feels like the song needs to have. Um, all of his records sound completely different, which I think is 
a real credit to him and his, his artistic vision. It takes him a long time to write a record though. I think the one that came out before this audition was 2005. And then We Don't Even Live Here was 2013, 2012. Yeah, but Jesus and the guy's playing, but he's 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 in the Degenerates, he was in Om, he's in those two bands we mentioned, he does stuff with Doomtree. Yeah, he's a busy guy, man. Is it? He's in that Gangs, Gangs? Gangs. Gangs. <laughs> he's a member of Warfrats with a guy from Gallows and mm. a member of Anti-Flag mm. as well. Um, Doing Shredders right now, which is his new project. Yeah, he's got a radio show weekly in Minnesota at KCMP yep. station. I mean, it's like, no wonder it takes him four years to do an album at that rate. I was approached for hip-hop records with a certain amount of trepidation because there's just so many fucking songs and lots of hip-hop albums, you know, mm-hmm. and as a punk kid, my attention span kind of starts to waver after like a half-hour mark. Is that a total feature of hip-hop records? Because... Most of them, I would say so. Yeah, a lot of them are long or a lot of them have like skits and stuff mm-hmm. like that, you know, like little sort of interludes and you right. just kind of, yeah, so like the track listing just goes on and on a little bit. And I mean, on the, this is a long record for a punk record. You know, sure. It's 55 minutes long, 16 tracks, even though the songs are all, you know, punk songs, basically. Yeah. But yeah, there's something about it. I think it's got enough diversity in it. The first time that I listened back to this when we, we decided we were going to do it, it's like I was remembering it and I was like, I do kind of remember it being quite long. But then on my first listen back, I was like, oh, this next track works really well as the next track and it's different and kind of went, yeah, I was happy the whole way through until the end. I was like, yeah, I didn't get bored. It does that really well. I felt it was a wee bit front-loaded, like a, like just a wee bit. Like there's some really standout tracks early on in it without mm. getting into the track listing in too much detail. It did take going back to it and starting midway to try and give the last eight tracks a fair amount of attention. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Because yeah. if you're listening to it from the start, then inevitably by track 10, you're kind of like a little bit, you know. <clears throat> but well, I'm always of the, I mean, how, how are you supposed to remember you know, sixteen tracks, just yourself. Like I, I love a short album. That's why you know. It's why when you do things like a teaching company and all those kind of audio lecture programs, mm-hmm. it's always you know thirty to forty minutes because that's estimated to be the optimum attention well, span. Time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's that's how long you can pay attention to something. So any longer than that, it's stretching you. Hmm. It's, um, it's interesting. Some albums you go back to and you restart them halfway through. You experience the last stuff in a whole new way that's it and so like yeah if you were to listen to this in a one hour you might get tired but what what it is is it's got 16 really good and interesting tracks that are really diverse so fuck it if you get bored or if you're walking halfway and you have to stop yeah you're right you just start halfway through and then you get another totally different part to it the tracks the tracks from the halfway point towards the end are definitely much different in feel as well you know it does seem to be an album which evolves as it goes on it's very direct to begin with and then well, the tracks towards the end kind of are a bit more expansive, a much kind of broader soundscape. Dragging a lake, dragging a kettlebell, nothing ever gets done. Nothing ever just makes so much dismantle, nothing ever gets done. Never people in place, every never is now, every never is now. Find a base. Come back to that, though. Wind, I wind them back because I do, like, it'll be good to do a bit of uh-huh. deep dive in the actual tracks themselves because they are so diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot going on in them as well. But um, to, to kind of set the scene a wee bit, right? So, POS, the guy's name's Stefan Alexander. Stefan Alexander, yeah. Steph. Um, but it's POS piece of shit. He doesn't say. He never. He's never said what it is. I just assumed that's because the POS of you do it in shorthand in a message. He says it as well. I think one of the songs. Oh, maybe it's in "We Don't Even Live Here." Chose an offensive name, meaning it's a piece of shit. It's definitely a piece of shit. I think it was something he used to. He, 
he claims that he just did it when he was in school, he just called himself POS, but he never really says what it's for. So he did say he chose an offensive name. All right, okay. Yeah, so. But he's never really explicitly said what it's what, it, what it's for, just POS. Because you'll notice as well, I didn't notice this until I get pulled up by publicists, but there's no dot at the end either, so it's not an abbreviation fully. Oh, P.O.S. Yeah, there's no abbreviation, so it's just like, I think he's just fucking me, people. Cause Unless you're doing it at the end of a sentence. Like, <laughs> tomorrow I'm going to be speaking to P.O.S. Full stop. <laughs> Fuck you, publicist. <laughs> Deal with that. Uh, so, yeah. It's never really been particularly clear what it is for, but he's always went by that name. Or, I mean, he's, whenever you meet him, he always introduced himself as Steph and stuff like that, so it's like definitely a stage name. But um, It's not point of sale then. Could be. It's a visual I mean, merchandise from my days of yeah. working in Summerfield, the supermarket <laughs> Summerfield, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Long gone, but heady time. Living on in your memory. Mm-hmm. My uh, mum my actually found a gateway... Uh, <laughs> um, a gateway poly bag upstairs in the loft the other day. Really? Like gateway was what turned into Summerfield. So that's like, when she finds a fine fair poly bag, mate. Oh, I don't fine even know fair. what that is. You can sell that shit on eBay and make some money. Right? Is that true? That's true. <laughs> oh my god. A, a William Lowe cottage cheese packet, that'll be worth some money. Yeah, fine fair, or at least in Stirling, fine fair became gateway, became Summerfield. Yeah. Uh, mm. John Menzies as well Turning to W.H. Smith Oh I remember John Menzies Menzies is still going though It still exists as a Distributor And for all those outside (laughs) of Scotland as well For some inexplicable reason (laughs) We pronounce the word Menzies As Mingus Mingus yeah That's my mum's middle name Mingus Mingus Campbell Fiona Mingus Weaver So Menzies Mingus And Mingus To me suggests Mingin I know but I don't know I don't know My mum's not Mingin you take that back. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a proper rap battle on there, right? We're throwing down mama jokes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so this is, like we said, this is a third record, the uh, audition one before. Moving it. swiftly on, Mark. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> audition was the one that came before. That was when I re- that's when I really got into them. Uh, I was really kind of taken aback by um, De La Souls, which is a track on that record where Greg from the Bouncing Souls doing a, a chorus. I cherish my free time, but I maximize so my soul needs to unwind. I want to see the stars be the moon to my sun, but I'm always on the run, run, run. I'm fake to all these hard case kids. I'll raise a black fist, but won't say. Last time I seen him live, actually, he was actually supporting the Bouncing Souls in the cat house, and it was a. It was a really interesting time. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting pair, yeah. Right? yeah, definitely. Yeah, people were getting really fucking annoyed at him because he was doing hip hop. <laughs> and he just basically went to the very front of the barrier and he went, look, this set is going to happen whether you like it or not, so you just better turn the fuck around and stare at the wall because I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> and he did, he was in the crowd and all that and it was just, and then Greg came on and everybody went mental and it was, it was really, really cool. But it was really quiet for his set as well. But, but that's, was, you know, like, fucking punk as fuck. It's probably the most punk thing that happened that night. Yeah. 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 And that was, uh, he had, he had, I think it was Paper Tiger he had with him or was it later Beak? It was one of the DJs that, that kind of works in Doomtree and uh, his live sound's always been Fucking pretty incredible. He's a really good, really good front man as well. Really good showman. I think a lot of pop artists need to be. Uh, but it was a dish when I really got into it. It's also really famous for having POS a in my life, which has got an underworld sample on it. It was buried under a flask and a cut from the bottom of a glass. All this nonsense, innocence, common sense, consequence, indulgence in bourbon. This herb between city kings is disturbed. I'm see the same shit from hers. The guitar bit mm-hmm. is from an Underworth song, which he ostensibly used to play live. Doesn't play any instruments live anymore, but he used to play it live. Some videos online. It's actually a really cool video online of him doing a Pearl Jam cover um, on MTV2, like, like live from his bedroom. I think it's Why Go. 
And it's just it is the most abrasive thing, that, like well more abrasive than Pearl Jam ever were. <laughs> I don't think Pearl Jam were famous for being particularly yeah. abrasive. good because he can really sing as well you know and um, that's something he doesn't really explore too much that's pretty cool but he's yeah he's a, he's a, he's a properly talented guy I think he underplays yeah, I mean, it yeah. a lot but no arguments man the guy's clearly turned his hand to a lot of things and he's clearly done well at, at each and every one um, I noticed that there was a lot of chat about uh, We Don't Even Live Here the, the album after this yeah. has been like a bit of a fan favourite like how does this compare to that uh, well maybe you want to talk about this one I can talk about it for days but if you've got any thoughts oh. maybe I well I I was really excited for it um, mm. when it came out because I was like I, f- I really loved this record Never Better and I was like oh I just want more sort of live drums I want more energy and I listened to it and it was just it was nothing like it it's nothing like that at all <laughs> absolutely yeah. nothing like this record yeah. when you feel this and these moms ain't tight they are terrorists and that girl's not white she's an anarchist and we float like kites through your turbulence yeah born with our throat slit self-stitch raised to aim over a soldier with no king war with the war on me I am more than this world lets me be so I be like a beast let him bleed let me see and the same energy though yeah it's just it does. not a punk record I've just I had to like it just put me off it straight away mm. Um, I didn't I was like, oh, it's not what I expected, so I just didn't get into it. I have recently gone back and listened to it, and it is actually a decent record. It's a very sample, though. What's the difference? Most of it's electronic. When he was talking to me about, when I was talking, I don't know if I was doing that interview or maybe it was afterwards, but he was saying that. Yeah, so you interviewed him yeah, for another podcast? Uh-huh. He was saying that, that he couldn't really tell that album because of like, uh, his kidney problems. He said when he was going to make that record, he was his goal was not only to do something completely different, like completely wildly different from Never Better, but also he was deciding this was going to be the record where he was going to spend a lot of money and getting like a good producer in, and and like you know building something completely different. He had like um, Boys Noise, Boys Noise are on one of the tracks, a couple yeah. others, you know, like big proper like electro uh, producers. Justin Vernon's on it. Um, he's on How We Land. Yeah, he's he, there's a there's a lyric on that record where it's like. Um, basically building some new shit so it's like totally like saying I'm doing something completely different at this point and it's a much shorter record I think it's only half an hour long it's 12 tracks but it is basically quite dancey mm-hmm. still quite abrasive though for sure but for me I, I it love didn't, it man it I think it's great I, yeah I don't know I don't know why I think going back to it now I can totally see its merits but when I wanted more of Never Better and then it just wasn't that mm. and it maybe I like really good electronic stuff but it maybe just wasn't heavy enough for me mm. on, in that way so yeah for me Never Better has always been the one that I go back to and it just really sort of captured a sound oh, and it was it was very similar I remember hearing this was very similar the first time I heard Death Grips uh-huh. you know in that like mix of punk and uh, you know live drums and stuff yeah, with hip hop because it was obviously it was you guys that really like you know forced me to kind of like tackle my Death Grips Phobia because it's mm-hmm. just a, a lot of stuff to get your teeth into and a lot to kind of get familiar with and there is like a there is a similarity this is nowhere near as obstinate as Death Grips you know it's nowhere near as like Death Grips do that thing where they go OTT on the production they go OTT yeah. on their attitude they go OTT on things and that's part of its inherent appeal this is a little bit more subtle but it's still in the same direction you know it's still and it's, there's definitely a couple of tracks on this that if you listen to it you could be like Oh, if Death Grips released that now, you'd be like, "Oh, yeah, yeah it's from the new record." Mm-hmm. 
they've just put a chorus in it because that's another thing that's on this record is he's got hooks yeah, yeah, he's got drum roll big hooks is a, is a, is a big mm. a big one of that as well it's, it's such a it's like a really idiosyncratic way to do a hip hop song yeah. that, that kind of snare roll all the mm. way through it and yeah. stuff That's, that's the kind of thing that reminded me of Death Grips. Mm-hmm. I mean, how does, and again, the the, the last one of the albums, as far as my chill way, Chill Dummy, dummy. Yeah, how does it out. compare to that? It's, it's, that is more chill. It's a lot more introspective by his own admission. Um, the songs are arranged completely differently. It's hard to describe. It's definitely not like We Don't Even Live Here. It's got a totally different energy to it as well. It came out a completely different period in his life as well because of the kidney failure stuff and all that and the kidney transplant. If it sounds, by the um, way, that, like we're occasionally ducking Mark underwater <laughs> because, he's, because I've got a cold he's fighting through yeah. illness seems like it's slightly worse than a cold uh, I've got a cold and, and shingles so slightly, it's slightly slightly better than botulism yeah so you know I'm not contagious though so it's fine yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just adjust your your speakers for, for uh, the flood how did uh, how did you find it Joe Dummy Weaver uh, to be honest I really haven't listened to it much um, I don't know why I think I just kind of missed it getting released. Um, yeah, I don't know for some reason. Yeah, because the record before, I just kind of fell out of. Yeah, fell off the bandwagon. Fell off the bandwagon, even though I knew I loved that record. That one record, I was never sort of keeping up to date with what POS was doing. It's got one of his best songs on it. Uh, the last track, Sleep Drone, Superposition. Exist in superposition. Go. Trying to exist in superposition. Go. Trying to exist in superposition. Go. Clock ticking, came living, man. Listen, come on. Show up, shine. So so good. That's the one I've heard a lot about. Uh, it's about eight, it's eight minutes long, and it's just a whole bunch of different hip hop artists coming in and doing like a a chorus or a line or a verse or whatever, uh, and he's just got this constant like just this keyboard sample of like this. He basically said he used this one synth to like do this entire background of a track, and it sounds dead dense, but it's amazing. It's got Kathleen Han on it as well, which is pretty cool. She comes in and does like a spoken word a bit. Yeah, I read a, a little bit about his uncertainty about asking her and his uncertainty about what she would say about it, but that she was pretty positive on it. But she'd asked to approve all the lyrics to the song before she took part in it and stuff. So I can can see why uh, she was politicised, and I'm sure there's no shortage of people just waiting to like shoot her down in flames if she takes part in something where someone's saying the wrong thing. But, well, that's um, something that he's always. You know, he's always been very politically and socially aware as well. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Um, yeah, I mean, I I mean listening through this as well, it's not, it's totally atypical when it comes to hip hop from my unenlightened perspective in the sense that it just doesn't have that sort of crass, braggadocio, gangster, fucking misogyny vibe mm. through it. And I, I absolutely realise that's a terribly broad <laughs> generalisation. Generalization. I mean, you, yeah, you're, you're but, talking about but what I mean, mainstream. Just for people that are unfamiliar, yeah, for people that are unfamiliar with it, like, like myself, there is that temptation to be like, how's this, how's this going to go? You know, am I? Gonna- yeah, but I mean, yeah. There's a what. What's interesting is the time, the timing of this record was 2009, and that was just when Obama was coming into power, mm-hmm. and. First of all, fuck Bush, that's all, that's the end of it. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this seems like it was like an angry record because it was coming at the end of Bush, um. But I think it maybe like slightly missed the zeitgeist a little bit because it was coming at that time where there was hope Positivity. and they'd got rid of the fucking yeah. you know the tyrant there and you know whereas now you know it's a breeding ground for you know 
punk and you know alternative and fuck the president and fuck the Tories. It's almost um, passe. It's but but honestly, at the point now where I think like comedy's engaged with it more than music because for music it's so boring to yeah. criticise Donald Trump. It's like who who's even wasting their lyrics criticising Donald Trump when yeah, the guy absolutely. does nothing everything. more to say about it. Yeah, do you know I mean? there's nothing they can add to it right now. Well, that's it. I mean, he's so beyond parody. Or beyond satire, I mean, you but can see why people had to work a little harder. As bad as Bush was, you can see why people had to work a little harder to critique him. Yeah. And then there was people during Obama that were, especially four years in, who were a little bit disillusioned that were starting to critique him and all these things about drones and about different mm-hmm. aspects of his domestic policy that they were, you know, uh, it's not really the, the second coming that we hoped for. Mm-hmm. And people had to work for it. And so it seemed better suited to musicians within their lyrics to muse on these things and, you know, find the cracks in the policies and find the inconsistencies and the hypocrisies. Man, it's so... I mean, it's like shooting fish in a barrel trying to like, criticise Donald Trump. The guy's almost out-trolled everybody. There's very little music which really... that, I, that I'm hearing anyway that's coming out and actually making a point of that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really bizarre. There's actually a couple of tracks on We Don't Even Live Here that even criticise Obama as well because it's like... Because the black guys in power doesn't necessarily mean to say anything different, you know. Uh, you know, rightly so as, as well. As a black I mean, guy, he's I mean, probably sitting there going, "Nothing's changed for these people and people around me," you know. The guy was the best president of our lifetime, but he's still with within that role. It's very low standard. There was, <laughs> yeah. still, there was still plenty within his time yeah. that was that left a lot to be desired, and albeit a lot more nuanced. It's a really interesting point that you say that this was coming on the, just at that era because there was a there was a change. There was a change in tone. It was yeah. a change in vibe. I mean, remember what that feeling the, when he first got elected, it was just... Yeah, absolutely. Euphoric. And this was kind of the opposite in that it was a sort of slightly negative take on society and uh, a sort of pessimistic view of just how we, you know, his, you read the lyrics and it's like, it is quite pessimistic about how we deal with each other as humans and never better. That That's, you know, the whole point of it. I mean, I guess um, the, the interpersonal stuff remains valid. I mean, I think that the smaller you focus your lyrics, the smaller, you know, you cast that light, the more relevant it remains, you know, mm-hmm. because these these interpersonal issues uh, tend to perpetuate throughout mm-hmm. generations. But with the bigger subjects, especially like Bush and the Iraq War, it, it doesn't always date that well, especially when it's superseded by something exponentially more, yeah, like yeah, absurd. Yeah. I mean, although in saying that, not exponentially more, uh, like, uh, awful in terms of body count. I think people forget that, but exponentially more awful in terms of sheer, just appalling decline of institutions. And I think it it, it is interesting the the timing of this record and how it connected at that time. Did people sort of go, ah man, that's those are some killer jams, but I'm just not feeling that sort of cynicism right now. That that surely is a phenomenon that could be tracked. Well, that's all. I don't think. I think there's a song. There's a song that called, called Optimist, isn't there? So it's not completely pessimistic. But I do think he's got. I do think he had a lot of valid things to say at that time because I think he just had. A, I think he just has a general distrust of politicians. That can be kind of passe um, within punk and hip hop, yeah. can't it? I mean, it's like it's how you articulate that. I mean, having a, a mistrust or a distrust is it's sort of like a bit of an eye roller. It's like, mm. yeah, whatever. But what have you actually got to say about it? Where are you coming from? And it seems like he does come from some pretty interesting places. Yeah, you know, it's it's not just a kind of blanket no. numbskull. Fuck the president. No, no, he's he studies things. You know, he studies. What he's saying. Yeah, it's definitely not just sort of blanket insults at oh, society. I think there's nuance in his thought, which I like. So, I mean, it seems like the album fits especially well then, given, you know, that one of the the remits of the whole unsung thing was that trying to picture which albums 
could be the best within the catalogue of an underrecognised artist, uh-huh. as well as you know, yeah. bigger artists in the underrecognised album, and and this one really is a, a a strong shout for that. It's worth noting at this point as well. Like he's the only only member from Doom Three that was that's that is signed to Rhymesayers Records, which is the 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 much bigger record label founded by Atmosphere, based in Minneapolis as well. And Atmosphere are are a pretty huge deal. In America, certainly, and there's, I think they sold out a garage last time we played here as well, so they're, they're quite, really quite well known. And Slug, the singer, or the sort of vocalist, MC, whatever, he's been really good at bringing artists through. But he always seen quite a lot in POS, I think, which is why he signed him to Rhymesayers, and Rhymesayers is a really big thing. And I think Doomtree initially was kind of trying to be based on that, but Doomtree's definitely went in its own direction. Hi guys, uh, Dave here. <laughs> uh, I have Bruno to. Brooks. Yeah, I hope you're enjoying this podcast. I know I sure am, but unfortunately, I've got to walk home because I can't afford fill my car with petrol. Uh, that's not true. I just filled it up yesterday. <laughs> uh, keep it. They'll uh, believe it. They'll believe it. Yeah, exactly. I know, but I couldn't afford to. I'm gonna have to. Oh fuck! I'm gonna start again. Oh, I like that. <laughs> uh, in fact, I can't start again because we can't afford uh, any more tape. <laughs> so I'm just going to have to keep going. Please donate money to help this podcast. Just give us a quid if you enjoy it. Give us two quid if you love it. Give us four pounds if you want to go out with Chris on a date. <laughs> <laughs> Why so dear? Uh, you know. Um, but yeah, just go to unsungpod.net. Slash donate. Slash donate. Slash donate. You pulled out the fire. I thought that was done, but slash donate. You brought it back. Slash donate. Slash donate. That would be lovely. Thanks. Wait, the yeah. album. It peaked at 106, I believe, in the the US charts. So it's, yeah. it's not. It wasn't mainstream, but that's yeah. pretty good for a sort of small independent. Yeah, and I know. mean that's you know post that kind of 2004 sales cliff that happened. So it's still modest, albeit not insignificant. He and, uh, he did a warp tour around this record. Uh huh. He went on warp tour, which was interesting because he was like, "Yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing." Hip hop club, some yeah. I'm a live punk artist. What's the what's the story about him accidentally ending up in the gym class heroes tour? How did he accidentally end up in that? I don't know. I was looking it up. It was probably from Warp Tour though. It's only only a valid reason I could think. So gym class heroes happen. were touring, and all it said was he accidentally ended up in this tour, and I was like, damned if I could find <laughs> out <laughs> why. So basically, um, after this record, and I'm, I've hinted at it a few times as well, as he had a lot of health he's, for his whole life, had a lot of health problems. He had kid, he had chronic kidney problems for his entire his entire life up until fairly recently, and it would be a case where he would like take dialysis machine on tour with him, and after we come off stage, the first thing he'd do is go go right in dialysis because his kidneys were just basically not cleaning up his blood properly, mm-hmm. uh, and he put all this energy, all this time, all this effort, and getting the right people or getting people that he really liked involved to try and make him a, a bit more of a mainstream record than we don't even live here. And we do even life here has got a lot of that. It's got a lot of really, it's got a lot of choruses on it. Um, a bit like uh, Low Light, Low Life, that kind of thing, which is on Never Better. So 
basically put all this time and effort into writing this record and making this record made and, and, and I, really, I really like it I think it's a fucking great record I couldn't stop listening to it despite the fact it's got Justin Vernon on it but it's a whole different it's a whole different conversation we'll have another day when I interviewed him he said he had a huge plan for like a year and a half of like just solid fucking hitting the road and absolutely paying the fuck out of the record and he was like but my kidneys just couldn't do it so they failed and it was all over the internet and lots and lots of kind fans said they would donate kidneys and all that did he, did he actually take a kidney from a fan? I don't know. I think he took it from one of his close friends, friends or family members. But they had no end people that donating shit, donating, wanting to donate that stuff to him. And um, he made he raised quite a lot of money for the, the surgery and all that. And so see if you get a, see if you give a band or a, even even better if you give a musician one of your kidneys, and then you ask for a guest day. What's that? A plus <laughs> <laughs> plus six for life. Six. <laughs> should, should think yeah. Because you'd be dead. You'd just saved a man or woman's life. Now, a plus 50% of the capacity of the room. <laughs> <laughs> but after that, um, he was he was off off the road for ages and he didn't really do very much. And one of the reasons why Chill Dummy took so long to come about is because he said, by his own admission, if he had some interviews around it, he actually references it in his sleep drone. So proposition, I think he, he wanted to write music about how he was thankful, about like how people would like hit like, Donated stuff or like wanted to help him, but it's like all it was all coming out really cheesy and horrible. <laughs> and then from what I gather, I don't know, I don't know much about this, but like a lot of people were also he kind of lost a lot of friendships as well because he was so ill and he couldn't do it. And all he was doing for like six months to a year was just like rattling, rattling around his house while he was getting better. And he's got two kids, so so what do you mean? He was disillusioned because the people that claimed to be close to him didn't actually. It, it was. Was it that music thing where you have a lot of acquaintances and not friends and you kind of find that out in a kind of hard time? I don't know for sure, but that seems to be from the interviews kind of one, one thing which has been implied and it's a bit of a theme in Chill Dummy as well. Like It's a bit of a theme in music, really, I think. Yeah. It's, it's one of those industries where people network, people play shows, people meet people and everybody's very, uh, oh, hey! Yeah. You know? And it's like, how many of these people can you actually count on? So it's, I mean, it's interesting mm-hmm. to, to hear when somebody has gets to one of those moments and, and then they're kind of like looking at their list of calls to see, you know, when was the last time this person wondered how I was. Mm. Yeah, I'm so. worried about speaking for them because obviously like, there's much more to it. There must be. And as possible, I may have got it wrong from my interpretation of the interviews, but certainly it seems to be a theme from the stuff that I've read anyway. I like to think I know what people are thinking better than they do, so that's that's fine. I'll, I'll take that upon myself. You're welcome. Um, but yeah, and Children's Music are completely different records with that particularly in mind. So did he produce those as well? Because a lot of this was self-produced, right? No, he didn't do. We don't. We don't even. No, sorry, that's the one that had a lot of yeah. a lot of producers on it. But did mm-hmm. he revert? To produce themselves, or because the, it's a I combination thought, on on Chill Dummy. Yeah. I think that's one of the really appealing things about albums is sometimes it just clicks so well when the artist has a big role in the production because you're getting something really uttered, you're yeah. getting something mm-hmm. really unfiltered and full of personality, and um, you know, yeah, I think there's something on this record, like even the tracks that are very different from each other, still have a very similar feel. Yeah, it sounds like an album. it, yeah, it doesn't exactly. sound like a collection of songs. It yeah. sounds like mm-hmm. an album. It sounds it sounds scrappy at points, I think, as well. Yeah. But I mean, uh, it's not a euphemism for like poorly produced. I think it's really well produced. Yeah. 
smokes. We ain't got bodegas, we got gas stations. Choke steady rock, ready for whatever pops. It's unfussy, and we've we've spoken about mm. that in past. Like I mean, we spoke about Portishead, for example. There's an unfussiness to the samples that mm-hmm. are used. You can hear some of the, the the hiss. You can hear some of the room noise, and the, some of the drum samples. They're not clean samples, not being overly gated or overly EQ'd. They're quite raw, but it's kind of nice because of that. There's there's personality in there. There's a real like a, a real sense of um, authenticity that tends to come from it. And sometimes mm. it's deliberate, and other times it's just a producer's naivety, you know. But sometimes getting a better producer actually the result is not as good because the better producer's instincts are like, oh, that's got some hiss at like 6K, let's let's kill that. Mm-hmm. Whereas the artist might not really have twigged. Mm. And then weirdly that adds, you know, a bit of like life to something that could have been too clean. Yeah. And I think this album has a lot of that in it. It's, it's got a lot of personality. And even though these songs and even the approaches to some of these songs are very different, none of them sound too slick. I think, I think the slickest one is Goodbye for me. Do you recognize when the world won't stop for you? Or when your days don't care what you got to do? Or when your waist too tough to lift up? What do you do? They don't choose for you. Don't let them choose. Recognize when the world won't stop for you. Or when your days don't care. That's the one that when I heard it, I, mean, I can hear it in my, my head right now. It's a really strong single, and, and it sounds to me like the closest to like stereotypical big hip hop single. But it's not overproduced. We don't even live here. Has got a lot more songs like that on it, like "Fuck Your Stuff." It's the was like the first single from that, and it's got that sound immediately. Uh, still got the same kind of vocal text that he has. You know, like sometimes in the record, he'll, he'll say stuff with stuff he's talking to an engineer. Yeah, he makes mistakes, yeah, but he uh, leaves them in, doesn't he? He's yeah. kind of got a little bit of that. Yeah, it's on nice, it, uh, um, which I really like about all of his records because yeah. he's always got stuff like that on it, which I think is very intentional. I think "Low Light, Low Life" is like the one that's like a real sort of dance. Like that's you know yeah. you can see that uh-huh. getting played in the club, and it's like really up- upbeat, and it comes after a couple of sort of more introverted tracks. There goes another one, right out from under them, different seashore, same 30 stores. There goes another one, right out from under them, worldwide mining town, steal it up, sell it down. And not too long ago, mom and pop owned the shop, prognosis, progress. I kind of thought that's another one that's like really... The sample on that is fucking great as well, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, 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 I actually thought it was a slightly strange choice to start with Let It Rattle. I, I thought it was a pretty slow start. To the album, I mean, it, it, it's a it's a strong tune once it gets going, but it takes a couple of minutes to get going. There ain't nobody to be pretty for a fuck it. Let it rattle. Let the clatter kill him. Let the cataclysm wash. Who really listens? Precision with a verse draws a cry. I draw a line between an easy melody and peace of mind. Uh-huh. I keep the game tweak, freak the same to its own thing. Spit the plain pain. Econo lines for the dime class. It's got that, and we don't even lift it as well. The first song, bumper, it's kind of like drum roll. It's just like a, it's really abrasive, but it's really sparse sounding and it takes a while to get somewhere then you get into the next track and you're like, oh fuck, we're going. I mean, the drums no. kick Let It Rattle into shape. I mean, that, that, yeah. that's when it opens up and you hear that this is a punky album. You hear the, the, the sound of the drums, the room. But more like, what exactly do you do? They hide their eyes and can't describe what they've been missing. They fire blind and can't describe what they've been laying down. But I, I, just, I just thought, like, musically speaking, I was like, oh, it's quite a slow start, and I wasn't really sure. I, th- I mean, I think the track two drum roll is superb. I mean, I, I just think that's such a, a great tune. Got me looking for disinfectant. Got him, boy. I must have forgotten some you were dealing with nothing less than the question, so naked, so crystal clear with a trust in 
fucking nothing but doom tree. Step up your fucking lanes. That shout, God, I'm bored. Yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. Like, I, I really, I love that. I mean, that was the, that was the one where, you know, I'm like, all right, we're doing this record. I have to, I have to listen to it. And I listened to the first tune. I was like, that's pretty cool. You know, try to just very cerebrally appraising the sounds and trying to like think of what I'm going to say. Track two, I was like, I genuinely like this. This is, this is actually something I'm, I'm really enjoying. And I'm no longer kind of making notes. I'm just mm-hmm. appreciating it. And I, I, that was, that was nice. It was, it was encouraging, you know. And from then on, I didn't think it slowed down for quite a while. Saving Glover came off a Doom Tree uh, mixtape. Yeah, that's a previous song that he's re- yeah. recorded in. He, he redid it for this. And then they dance away clean like Savian Glover. And I mean, that was that's like catnip for me because of the Fugazi references. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I think it's a bit more conventionally hip hop, but. Um, it's aye. I mean, I'm a I'm a sucker for a for a name drop, and the Fugazi trivia is yeah. You've got me there, man. You can take me home now. I'm <laughs> ready for bed. Well, this is a bit of an aside, but it's still hip hop related. Uh, there's a Sage Francis song on on that record he did called Don Profits, and he's, he had this already going called Zolzan. And there's a line on one of the songs that's just like, I go, I go to Fugazi Fields requesting minor threat songs. <laughs> just like one of the best fucking things I've heard in I'm a total mark for that stuff, man. It's like, it's like if you're not sure about the crowd, throw that in and it's just like, yeah! <laughs> I'm at the merch stand. Um, it's got a great kick beat in Savian Glover as well. Man. It's like, it's, it's a really subtle detail in the song, but the kick drum beat is brilliant. Like, it could have been a flat tune, but that, Completely sets everything off, and yeah. I think like, if you even if you haven't even thought about it in that sense, like, listen to it back and just listen to how much that kick beat breathes life into that tune. It's yeah, uh, I think the percussion in this record is what gives it that biting sort of energy and yeah, urgency that really sort of sets it apart for me. Yeah, definitely. Pure X is probably my favorite song on the record. That you know, there's a weird, there's a weirdly post-rock vibe to Purex. See, see that uh, big cymbal crash thing yeah. at the end. Uh-huh. It's like it's got that epic sort of rock dynamic to it that you virtually never hear in hip hop records. Yeah, um, and yeah, I mean, I think like, I've already kind of said. I think like track six, like, goodbye. With a, I mean, it's just that is a that is a single. I mean, he must have known. He probably, I mean, it was probably, I think, as somebody who's had to arrange more than a couple of records in my time. It's like when you're trying to pick that first tune and you've got this one and you're like, this is such a banger. Do a blow my load straight <laughs> off the bat. Yeah. Do I do like a space hog? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one wonder kind of like front load it to fuck. Just like stick the big single on as the first track and everything else is just like so one track and then like ten B sides. Yeah. Better in this case fifteen. But I, he you know he puts goodbye in it but I think it's number six. And yeah. oh man, that that is a that's a big chin. Hey, there's some really nice synths in it. It's got the kind of slightly cheesy female backing vocal as well, but it's just that's. I, I, you were talking about dance floor 
tunes. I, th- I think that's yeah. the dance floor yeah. tune in this no, album that for is, me. You can, that, bam, I've bam, definitely bam, played that kind of thing as a well. good few times. So, guess Mox is kind of cool, just this little interlude almost. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the sparse drum clips in that yeah. are brilliant, man. That, that's really, really nice. The, the, the way he's kind of broken them up mm. and just, it's, it's, that's a bit death gripsy in that sense as well. It's uh-huh. quite choppy sounding, yeah. Smokes. We ain't got bodegas, we got gas stations. Choke steady, rock ready for whatever pops. Put the surface like Mercedes chops, better lost any. Okay. Slash fast, getaway, crash, whatever path and stop. Whether it's caskets or gas, it's last drops or stash. Whatever math I've added in a basket and buried. You let them pull the wool, I pull the chair. And um, low like low life, which we've already spoken about, is just... Big soulful beast. Yeah, yeah. And it's got that. It's got that amazing. That was when I, I first heard Desa or Desa. Yeah, her her verse is just fucking brilliant. Amazing man, she's so good. Yeah, she's so so good. Uh, I think it's got Astronautalis on it as well. He's on one of the songs. I can't remember which one. You can always tell his voice. I think so, he's on. He's on the hidden track that handmade. Oh yeah. Gun. That's oh that's that chorus and that's fucking yeah, dynamite man. Dynamite. I love a good hidden track. Astronaut Cliff does that a lot of his songs. He's got that kind. He's got when he sings, he's got that kind of weird, growly kind of blues singer voice, mm-hmm. and his his hooks are always like that, always like that. Um, I, I don't know about you guys as well, but as I said, I thought the second half of it is is still really good. As a, a side B, it's still strong, but has fewer notable peaks. I thought Terrorish was particularly good though. That was the one that came Eyes in the back of my head. That's uh, yeah. That one, that one was the one that really lifted it again for me. Yeah. It was taking a slight dip. I was getting a wee bit fatigued, but it, it comes in. And I think out of categories, a wee bit. I mean, you could probably take it off the record. I don't think you'd lose anything. Optimist, I really like because the, the the beat, which obviously made himself with the cups, it's on it. It does it in the video. Mm-hmm. If you see the video for it, you see him actually using the cups and how he made the beat. It's fucking really really cool. Plastic cups. It's just got a really nice kind of relaxing vibe about it. <laughs> he's also got Optimus tattoos and he's not on his hands as well, which is quite cool. Um, o p t i m i s. Like a big, like a big sort of mural <laughs> thing, like on his fingers. That's, that's no, I'm that's just, I'm just trying to work out how many letters that is. <laughs> Terrace has got Jason. Is it Jason Shiftchick? I don't know how to say his surname, but it was on Kid Dynamite, and then none were black. I hope we cover Kid Dynamite at some point. But following on for the if you're having Greg from Bouncing Souls on on audition, it's another indication of him bringing a punk singer in to do a hook and a song mm-hmm. and that he's that massive gruff voice uh, a, a good kind of canary in the coal mine for me with some of the records you guys give me especially the hip hop stuff is my flatmate he's he's a, he's a big hip hop fan but he was a little bit turned off by some of the kind of punk guest vocals in it not that he's I mean he's a guy that loves a good screamed vocal as mm. well within its own context but I think he thought a couple of them were a little bit contrived on this um, especially later on it, overall he thought it was a great record he was really happy when I, I told him about it and he's been listening to it but he did think that the low points <laughs> for him were a couple of moments where he was like ah, he's sort of shoehorned in a punk singer there and I don't think it needed it so you know just as a caveat 
in case this sounds like we're blowing it, blowing it excessive smoke up POS's ass. I think I, I think I like it a lot. I think it really, it really high, elevates the song. But you're a mark for that. But I'm a mark for that thing, so yeah, I'm into that. <laughs> I mean, I don't think maybe I don't know. Would there be an interest? Would there be a more interesting air quotes way of doing it? If you want somebody to come in and do their thing, you want them to come in and do it in the, in the most accessible and kind of easiest fashion, do you know? Get a homeless guy to do it. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about the last two songs? I, I, I think it ends well. Like, I like it. I listen to this record a lot on vinyl, actually. Mm-hmm. So, um, by that point, I am like, it just sort of fades out. Yeah, I, just, I, I think it, just overall, I think it, it works as a record. I think it's a really nice package. It's also, I love the, I fucking love the artwork as well. Oh yeah, apparently the vinyl came out and it had like interchangeable Yeah, it's got like transparent yeah. bits in it. So you could like, like basically have your own combination of like yeah. artwork in the front. Yeah, yeah, it's a really nice record. We can show what your particular combination of those is. How many, how many is it? Again, it's like 20 and 8 or something like that. Is that right? It's like, oh, I'm... I can't remember. I don't know. I just you fiddle about with it. Yeah, there's like I, try mul- not, I, there's, I don't mul- like to fiddle about with it because I don't want to ruin it. There's like multiple colors and then multiple patterns. Yeah, and so there's probably. I wonder what the actual combination the like possible. Yeah. yeah, somebody can maybe if if somebody can get as a figure on the possible number of iterations of cover combinations for the POS Never Better album, <laughs> we'll think of a prize or we'll at least give you a shout out for being a <laughs> some kind of smart ass. But yeah, it's a, it's a really innovative idea. So David, maybe send us a picture of your personal I'll, combination. Why don't I do a little uh, video for the socials? Yes, put that in us. Put that in us. I'll, I'll, I'll do that. So before we get to the end, let's do the new section, which I'm introducing this fucking episode. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm excited <laughs> so for this. He's, he's, uh, he's floated this, but David and I don't really know what it is. But Mark You've got a jingle it. for it. I've got a jingle for it. I don't have, I will record it. It's yeah, so the jingle would go now. Right here. Right, it's going to be cool. it's going to go right in there. That was I hope, that, I hope that, that jingle was good. Oh, no, that jingle that was good. That jingle was amazing. <laughs> I just Great jingle. It. Yeah, I just, um, edit, I just edited it. It was, <laughs> it was brilliant, man, honestly. So, it's basically, I'm calling it the Foo Fighters Nexus, which is basically six degrees separation for Dave Grohl, right? So take Kevin Bacon out and put in the Foo Fighters. Yeah, mostly Dave Grohl. So, <laughs> how many jumps it take to get, like, it's come up quite a lot in this podcast that Dave Grohl or the Foo Fighters seem to be a recurring theme in a lot of the stuff we do. Mm-hmm. So I'm now, now wondering every single record that we do should be perhaps find out how many jumps it takes to get from that, that artist to Dave Grohl. Okay, um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say two for this one because he's in punk bands. I'm going to say three. I think I'm three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, all right. What we okay, there, there are, actually, there are actually two combinations for this and they're both basically one jump. Maybe two jumps at the most. Holy shit. Okay. We'll figure it out. You can tell me if it's one or two. He's in Foo Fighters. He's not. <laughs> that that, that <laughs> is one jump. He could, no, one jump would be like... You need to, point you, A, point B is one we jump. Need to, we need to agree in the rules before point this a becomes a bit. to point B is one jump. Point B to point C is two jumps and so on. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. Well, let's so, hear. Let's hear and we'll decide how many jumps it was. Yes. Okay, so the first one is Foo Fighters released uh, a song on a seven-inch box set for Planned Parenthood, which Bonnie Iver also released a song on. And Bonnie Iver... Justin Vernon not only worked with POS and gangs, but he also has a guest vocal on We Don't Even Live Here. That's two jumps. Okay. That's two. That's two, because your Bon Iver is your middle, yep. your island there that you're so two jumps. Along. The other one's probably two jumps as well. Uh, the other one would be Dave Grohl dated Kathleen Hanna, and Kathleen Hanna is on Joe no, That's two jumps. That's yeah. two jumps. One so jump two would jump. be 
Dave Grohl dated POS. <laughs> <laughs> Which we're not oh, ruling out. Yeah, could, could happen, yeah. So two jumps, uh, there's two jumps to get to. Yeah, that's cool. Respectable. You've done two, it twice. Two jumps. Two jumps. Yeah. If this yeah. was, I mean, there may, there, this may be the template for some successful TV quiz show at some point in the future <laughs> because they're scraping the barrel already. Yeah. Um, I've got an idea for an awesome thing we'll talk about before this goes out. <laughs> <laughs> done. So that's our six degrees of Dave Grohl. Two degrees of Dave Grohl. But yeah, the Foo Fighters Nexus. Well yeah. done. Thank you. Thanks. That was enjoyable. Jingle again or no jingle again? There's an ending. Oh, you you'll get it. Right in here. Wow, that ending was good. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be worth it, hopefully. Yeah, well, I think all three of us agree that this is going to go in. Yeah, um, I think it meets all the criteria for Unsung. Um, it's a good record. And it's good. <laughs> it's yeah. probably his best, if not his like most unique and standout record. Yeah. And he's an artist that maybe doesn't have the recognition that he should have. I think this record came out at a time that it... You know, if it had come out a bit later or a bit earlier, I think it would have got more um, traction as well. Yeah, I've no idea what this actually means, but if more hip hop was like this, I would listen to hip hop. I thought that was just means you don't try hard enough. That was my. That might be what this means. That that was kind of when I first heard this, I kind of thought I like hip hop, but I was like, I wish more, but had this kind of vibe to it. Yeah. But maybe, like like Dave says, maybe just not trying hard enough. Mm. That's a good shit. Great. So it goes in then. Mm -hmm. Go and vote. Please, yeah, on, the on the Facebook. Facebook page. Yeah, click yes. Jobs are good. This record should be in. Next week, I am very, very happy to say we're going to be looking at the mighty Godspeed You Black Emperor. What album? Hallelujah, don't bend, that's end. <laughs> I have no idea how, how they want us to say it, but it's got lots of exclamation marks in it, um, as does their career. Yeah, absolutely one of the finest musical outfits to ever exist so I am into it even though it's not normal to be this excited about Godspeed <laughs> but you know I actually never thought I'd see them and then suddenly they were back in the scene Thanks. So, yeah yeah. I'm, I'm so glad, glad that they yeah. exist again uh -huh. mm, yeah I am gonna <clears throat> I'm gonna do my exercises because there's gonna be a lot of talking <laughs> for me in the next episode okay Great. well thanks guys <laughs> sweet bye cheers Land. It's the great escape, 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 it's the great escape.